Good morning. We welcome you into the, to our worship service this morning. We welcome you into the house of the Lord. We welcome you into the presence of the Lord God Almighty. We ought to just praise his name this morning. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you could come this morning. Isn't it a blessing to be in the house of the Lord one more time? He's worthy to be praised. I'll read to you from Psalms 27, 4 through 6. One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. For the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in his secret, in his secret tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up on a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifice of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. O heavenly and precious Father of God, we praise your holy name. We recognize, O God, that you have all power in your hand. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for allowing us to assemble in your presence one more time. Lord, we pray you're, you're blessed upon this assembly this morning, O Heavenly Father God. We pray, O Lord, that we'll leave this place stronger than we came. In your Son, Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Now our praise dances.
be reading from 103rd chapter of Psalms, verse 19 through 22. And it reads as follows. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heaven, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, and excel in strength that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. God's word for God's people. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pause to say thank you for your many blessings. We thank you for being a mighty God that is everywhere, one that sits up high and looks down low, one that walks with us and talks with us and orders our steps daily. We say a special prayer to the families that have been suffering from the loss of loved ones. Father, we ask that you intervene in a mighty way to keep them encouraged and remind them that you are our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. We thank you for our pastor that will be providing the spoken word this morning. We ask that today's lesson inspires us all to remain faithful in our work of being the type of Christians that you created us to be. We ask these and other blessings in your son Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, it's so many things that we take for granted. I was watching television the other day, and I was looking at people across the world, didn't have place to live, let alone air condition and heat, running water. And then we celebrate Thanksgiving and we have so many different varieties of foods that we have to eat. Our scraps would be a meal for some of the people that we see across the world. I said all that to say we truly should give God praise, honor, and glory because every day is a day of thanksgiving. Every day. Bill, every day is a day of thanksgiving. Just to be able to get up in the morning and know our name. But then we got a roof over our head. And then I look back at a time when I didn't have but one suit to wear on Sunday. So I didn't have to stand there and scratch my head. I didn't, I didn't have to look and say, well, what am I going to wear today? But God has blessed me. And it ain't just me. But you all have the same testimony. Y'all know when you only had one dress that you wore on Sunday. But God has blessed us tremendously. So in the spirit of thanksgiving, let us just not take so many small things that mean so much for granted. He's good to us, y'all. Yes, he is. Those of you that are joining us by way of live streaming, this is the fourth Sunday. And today we will observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. If you didn't get a chance to come by the church to get the elements, just get a small piece of bread or a piece of cracker and some juice because at the end of this service, we will celebrate communion. The K Chapel Sunday School Outreach Ministry says thank you for a very successful Thanksgiving collaboration with Walton parents and students. 
as well as our general community. The wall of willing hands is coming soon. We thank you now, we ask that you would keep these announcements in mind. What a blessed opportunity we have. We have an opportunity to share with the Lord that which he has given us. Think about the fact that all that we have come from the Lord. It's reasonable that we should share a portion of what God has given us. Let us come now. We give at Cape Chapel for at least three reasons. We give to demonstrate our obedience to God's word. We give to demonstrate our thankfulness to God for his provisions. We give to support local and global ministries. And for those who are watching live stream. You can give by texting the number that appears on the screen by use of the K Chapel app, which appears on the screen. Or you may bring or mail your offering to K Chapel at 1000 West Ridgeway Street uh, here in Jackson. Also, those persons who are here and have not given, there will be receptacles at the rear of the sanctuary. As you go out, you may drop your envelope there. God bless you. Let us give cheerfully, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver.
morning. I am youth deacon Richard Terrell. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this offering that is being received today, as it will be used to glorify you and uplift your kingdom. As we journey through the days ahead, we ask that we ask, Father, that you prepare our journeys, guide our footsteps, and the Holy Spirit watch over us on every path we follow. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. morning, K Chapel. Jeremiah, the 30th chapter, verse 17 says, For I will restore health unto thee, and I will heal thee of thine wounds, saith the Lord, because they call thee an outcast, saying, This is Zion, whom no man seeketh after. We ask that you continue to pray for all of our bereaved families, the Simmons, the Turner Johnson families. You know, we lost another great soldier last week, Usher Jeff Simmons. The funeral for Usher Simmons will be held on Saturday, December 2nd, here at Kate Chapel. The funeral for Mrs. Juanetta Turner Johnson, the sister of Sister Sharon Turner Davis, will be held on Tuesday, November 28th in Dundee, Illinois. We have in the hospital or nursing home or in rehab, we have Brother Limus Magruder, Brother Glenn Barnes, and Brother Al Levy. We have recovering at home, Sister Anita Shaw, Sister Cecilia Bass, Sister Deborah Franklin, Sister Dorothy Jones, Mrs. Rosemary Stuckey, Reverend Leroy Harrington, Mr. Melvin Scott, Brother John Sanders, Brother Kavara Collins, Brother Willie Lindsay, Brother Joe Lowry, and Brother Aaron Thompson, Jr. We have also asking for prayer of Sister Annie Bailey, Brother Ricky Bailey, Brother Lawrence Lewis, Sister Lily Luckett, and Sister Johnny Jackson. And Sister Jackson will be going to the hospital for surgery. Those that are related to church members that are asking for prayer are Mr. Lewis Barnes, Ms. Adrena Jeter, Mrs. Lavincia Clark, Ms. Mackenzie Emil Nathan, Mr. Learnest Bonner, Mr. Keith Fogger, Mrs. Dolores Phillips, Mr. Larry Milton, Mrs. Demetrius Wallace, and Mr. Clyde Cameron. We have a card here that says, from the family of Earl Calvin Dampier, sends many thanks to our K Chapel family for the outpouring of love shown to us during, during the passing of our father. We will forever be grateful and remember you all for sharing in this journey. May God continue to bless you all. And as you journey during the week, wherever you go, remember to pray when you can, visit where you can, and each day, thank God that you can. Let us pray. Our Father, we come, O oh Master. We come on this day with bowed heads and humbled hearts, thanking you for the blessings 
you bestowed upon each of us. Father, you've just wrapped us in your love. You continue to give us grace and mercy. So, Father, we ask, oh, Lord, that you would just look down on all those that are dealing with different types of illnesses. We ask, oh, Lord, that you would not only bless them, but bless their families, the caregivers, all that take part in that care. Father, we love you. We need you, and we realize that we can do nothing without you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let us go to God in prayer as we ask him to continue to bless our time together. God, our Father, we come now in this moment of expectancy. God, we thank you that there is hope. That as long as Jesus is the light, we know that there will always be hope. God, we thank you. God, we thank you for being simply God. That you have all the power to do any and everything that you choose. God, you gave us breath in our bodies. God, you gave us the activities of our limbs. God, you allowed us to see another day that was not granted to us, but God, you gifted it to us. And for that, we simply say thank you. So God, as we come now to this moment of semantic exercise, God, we've sung all the songs, we've prayed the prayers, we've read the scriptures, but now God, we're expecting a word from you. So God, stand in me. Give me the words to speak so that you can touch the lives of your people. This, God, we pray in your matchless and darling son, Jesus' name, amen. If you know that there is still hope in the world full of despair, won't you give God a hand clap of praise? We give honor to our great God, Jesus, our Christ, and our Savior, and the Holy Spirit, our Redeemer, and our Comforter. We give honor and reverence to our pastor, the Reverend Reginald Buckley, in his absence, and his wife, to all the deacons, officers, members, to my fellow colleagues in the ministry, and everybody else. God, thank you for these people. So I don't want to take any more time away from this a sweet moment of worship. And so if you have a copy of the scripture, meet me in Acts. Acts, the ninth chapter, starting at verse 1. The youth deacon prayed during the offering for God to help us to prepare for this journey. And I want to uh, look at a journey today in scripture. And so in Acts 9, Starting at verse 1 from the New King James Version, it reads like this. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And he journeyed, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Verse 9, And he was three days without sight 
and neither ate nor drank. That ends the reading of the text. And before you take your seat, I need your help announcing my sermon title. So if you look to your neighbor, to your left and to your right, and say, neighbor, neighbor. oh neighbor, neighbor, I'm on the journey that made the difference. You may be seated. In December of 2004, the film Johnson Family Vacation premiered in theaters as a highly anticipated debut for black family comedy. It's all star cast, including Cedric the Entertainer, Vanessa Williams, Solange Knowles, Bow Wow, and the infamous Steve Harvey, gives the movie all the hype that it needs to live up to his name. Cedric the Entertainer plays a father who is an insurance agent by the name of Nate Johnson, who is a father of three and is, a, and is in a complicated marriage with Vanessa Williams, who plays Dorothy in suburban California. The story starts off with Nate convincing his wife to take a road trip with them uh, in a brand new, fully loaded Lincoln Navigator from sunny California to his birthplace in Missouri. We see early on that Nate and his wife really don't see eye to eye. They have been living in two separate homes for a while, and they have uh, Nate and his son living in one house, and Dorothy, uh, his wife, and his daughters living in another house. To make matters worse, Nate's mother is not too fond of Nate's wife. And likewise, Dorothy is not fond of his mother. In some way or another, Nate convinces his wife to agree to go on the road trip. And so Nate plans, Nate's plans for doing this seems to point towards his envy and his jealousy toward his older brother, Mac Johnson, played by Steve Harvey. He, he wants to overcome being the little brother and having his big brother always taking home the family reunions competition trophy. If you're the older sibling in here, kind of like I am, you know how it is to always have bragging rights over your younger sibling. Your younger sibling has to look up to you. Your younger sibling has to model after you. And sometimes the younger sibling just get tired of it. Nate Johnson was determined to bring home that trophy uh, back to California and for once beat his big brother, Mac. And throughout much of the movie, Nate and his family have gone through trial after trial, obstacle after obstacle, trying to get to the destination. And by the end of the story, Nate has won the family's trophy, beat his big brother, and, his and enjoyed his time with his mother. And so for those of us who have seen the movie, it's easy to suggest that the moral of the story from Nate's perspective was that he was able to finally achieve success after being defeated for so many years. However, as I began to reflect on this wonderfully crafted movie, something more pressing jumped out at me. There was something to be carefully examined in detail. Then it all made sense to me. The plot was not just about a little brother finally receiving the recognition, the validation, and the confidence he needed from his family. My friends, I want to submit that the true moral of the story came as a result of the road trip to the family reunion. The real prize, 
came as a result of the journey from California to Missouri that allowed Nate and his family to once again be a true family. It was the journey to their destination that made the difference. And so as we began to understand the significance of journeys we may encounter, we have to understand that all journeys don't look alike. All journeys don't give the same result, but that our intentions on that journey are always the same. See, the purpose of a journey is to take you from one place to the next. It's to take you from one period of life to the next. Life would cease to exist if we did not continuously be on some sort of journey. But my brothers and sisters, the best journey you could ever find yourself on is one designed and ordained by God the Father. I think I'll say that one again. The best journey you can find yourself on is one that is ordained and destined by God the Father. You must understand that when God places us on this journey, what he wills, no man, no woman, or nothing can stand in our way. Often enough, our journeys orchestrated by God are some of the most controversial, some of the most soul-tugging, the most trivial journeys we will ever take in this life. Some people fold because they don't want to experience the hardship of a journey. They believe that as the journey starts, they can somehow see into the future and see what problem lies ahead and avoid taking this type of journey. And it is this problem with that approach that you will never be able to properly grow in the soil that God has planted you in. And so today's conversation is all about those who, like Nate Johnson in the Johnson Family Vacation, go down the path looking to have one expected in, but God in turn blows your mind and redirects your entire situation. So is the case here for our character in this story, Saul. And so we introduce the Saul in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, going house to house in Jerusalem, dragging the men and women who accepted Jesus as the Messiah out of their homes and imprisoning them. Now you've got to ask yourself, what made Saul so entitled to do such a thing? I know if you've been in Sunday school for a while, you know that Saul was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He was trained in Greek and Hebrew. He was trained in philosophy and rhetoric. He was trained to be the elite of the elite, which gave him, in his mind, a special privilege to target people following Jesus. In the grand scheme of things, my friends, he was privileged. And as we get to chapter 9, in verse 1, we are given the scene of Saul exercising his privilege and getting a warrant or uh, being granted permission to bring people who have gone against the Jewish customs and teachings bound to prison as an exercise of righteousness to the Torah. The Reverend Willie Jennings, New Testament professor at Yale Divinity School, notes that no one is more dangerous than one with the power to take life and who already has mind and sight set on those who are a threat to a safe future. Saul is abusing his authority to bring about justice of the former era to, be, uh, to prove itself insufficient through Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. It was as if Saul felt he was above the law by killing and oppressing people 
to preserve what he considered holy and righteous unto God. What I'm simply trying to say is that Paul thought that what he was doing was right. The elites of society creating invisible institutions and problematic practices that only benefit the old way of living because the elites deemed it a good idea. People who were brought up with the idea that they were superior to certain groups of people reject to see change that prove otherwise. Where we have leaders of our cities and states and, and our nation make decisions that are said to have the best interests of the people at heart, but really is for the advancement and the pleasing for a specific group of people. It's to say that the necessity of health care and the living sustainable ways for everyone is only for those who can afford it. It's to say that the eras of chattel slavery, reconstruction, Jim Crow, civil rights, and what Michelle Alexander calls the new Jim Crow was and is just a point in time justified by the Bible. I'm talking about the same people who pray to God in the public square, but push redlining and gerrymandering, discrimination and disenfranchisement, incarceration and inadequate housing and education in private rooms. They abuse the same scriptures that tell another story, a story that says trouble ain't going to last always. Saul must have skipped those parts in the Jewish Bible because my Bible tells me that God sets those who are oppressed free. And friends, I just came to let you know that as this country is witnessing the consequences of its previous and current actions, so did Saul. What Saul did not realize was that while being the pursuer, he would in turn, he would in turn be the one being pursued. Friends, just as Saul gets his approval to commence the killing, he gathers his men and decides to travel to the road of Damascus. I'd imagine as they were journeying towards the city, Saul, being the ringleader he was, began to give out instructions on how they were going to seize the Christians. Can you hear him? Can you see him? He might have told his men what house to stop at when they got to Damascus. He might have told him how to take them out of their homes and how to uh, incarcerate them and imprison them. And it's kind of like how we do at times. We began thinking about what we'll do and how we're going to do it. And if anything goes wrong, how bad we will try to make it right by any means necessary. You know how we do it. I'm going to take this class because they said the teacher was easy. I'm going to get this position in SGA because I've been in SGA since I've got here. I'm going to get this job because I've been here seven years and I know more than anybody on this job because everybody else is new. Y'all know how we do it. We become so engulfed in what we plan to do that we anticipate nothing to go wrong with our plan. Somebody shouts suddenly. But suddenly, there was a tragic break in Saul's excursion. The text said that there was a light that shined around him that was so bright that he fell to his knees. And he found himself submissive to what followed. With a voice from heaven, Jesus cried out to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It was at this moment of confrontation that Saul was face to face with the one who he had been persecuting. And Jesus reveals himself to Saul and tells him that it's hard to kick against the gold. And Jesus proceeds to give Saul the command to go to, uh, to, go to Damascus as Saul had intended, but now with a different purpose. 
with the help of the men journeying with him, Saul is helped to his feet and guided to the place that God commanded him to go. And the Bible says that he fasted for three days with no water or food. It was this experience that broke the yokes of tradition and oppression from Saul and caused him to step into a new mode of living. It was this journey that made the difference in Saul's life. And so there may be those of you who have been feeling like life has been holding you and your dreams hostage and your potential in a chokehold. You may even feel like you have not yet stepped into the will of God for your life. Maybe you are waiting on this grand scene of transformation that is painted for us here in Acts 9. Or maybe you don't know what's going on in your life and you are just riding the wave of life day by day and waiting on God to perform miracles in your life. I've come with good news this morning. Good news is that the the text teaches us that you've got to confront the distractions around you, convert through God's transformative power, and be confirmed by God for your assignment. I said I came with good news. The good news is that you have to confront the distractions around you. You have to convert through God's transformative power. And lastly, you've got to be confirmed by God for your assignment. And so if you're taking notes, one way that you can experience a journey like Saul is that you will have to face or you will have to confront the very thing you are persecuting to what God wants you to do in your life. And so what what am I saying? You have to stand body to body You have to stand face to face. You even have to stand eyeball to eyeball with the one thing you are going against for God to begin to do that transformation in you. Verse 4, my friends, introduces the tension of the text, which says, Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's important to visualize this scene as you are reading it. By this point in time, Jesus has already ascended to heaven and is now speaking directly to Saul from above, confronting him on the persecution spree. In everyday conversation, to persecute could very well mean to kill. But for the context of this conversation, persecution is centered around the act of causing one to suffer, to speak ill of, praying for their downfall. Jesus is essentially asking Saul, why are you hurting me? Why are you talking bad about me to those who follow me? So there is a powerful message in this verse. The fact that Saul has turned from the persecutor to the one being persecuted, it shows that God is beginning this transformation in his life. It's as if Jesus is now giving Saul a taste of his own medicine. This scene shows us that we have no power, no right, no authority to oppress others, especially in the name of Jesus. Jesus then goes on to tell Saul the Greek proverb, it's hard for you to kick against the goals. And I know you may be wondering, what in the world is a goal? Don't worry, you are not by yourself because I had the same question in mind. A goal is a stick with a pointed end used in farming to motivate the ox to not stop, to do what is expected of it. What Jesus is suggesting is that it's hard to go against something that is stronger than yourself. 
that has more power than yourself. It's hard for you to go against the thing that gives you your motivation. In fact, my Bible tells me that God is the source of our strength, that he has more power than us. And that is the same power that Jesus is speaking to Saul, the power that Jesus had when he rose with all power in his hand. So how could you go against something that gave you what you have? I'll tell you, it's impossible. To speak against something God has established will only lead you to find yourself between a rock and a hard place, trying to figure out why things are going upside down. Too often we're doing more harm than good when we have our own agendas. We think we have the power of God in our lives. We think that we know best just by the simple fact that we thought it. And we don't give God room to work in our lives. And it's at some point, you must let God do what he does. You must let God do what he's going to do so that he can begin that transformation in your life. And I'll tell you why you can't seem to find Indy uh, surrendering in you. And often people are afraid, are afraid to confront what they're going against because deep down, they know what they are doing isn't something that God told them to do in the first place. In fact, it's what they wanted to do. Saul got the permission that he wanted, that he wanted and I'm sure he had a head full of steam to go and literally snatch the very freedoms and lives of those who follow Christ. But when he was met face to face with the one he was speaking ill of, he had no choice but to submit to the transformation that was about to happen. And so as you move from confronting the very thing that we are persecuting, the very nature of facing your opposition will lead you to the conversion of your old self to your new self. I need you to understand that confrontation ultimately leads to conversion. Walk with me for a second. Once Jesus revealed to, him, to himself to Saul, once Jesus revealed himself to Saul, verse 5 tells us that Saul is now astonished and scared. He is shocked and he is spooked. At this point, Paul realizes that the road to Damascus is now holy ground. No longer is Paul thinking about what he's going to do to the people of Damascus who were trying to follow God according to the finished work of Christ. No, friend, Saul has one thing on his mind at this point. The one thing on his mind is what verse 6 records as his response where Saul simply asks Jesus the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? It's a shame that God has to scare us half to death for us to fully submit to his will. It honestly makes no sense that at some point between verses 5 and 6, Saul had to come to terms with dismissing what he thought was right to actually knowing what was right. Just like Saul, you have no option to decide neither whether you're going to do the right thing when you had an encounter with God. The very presence of God will put a pause in life in that exact moment so that you will hear the sweet words of our Lord. That's the confrontation. Just being in his presence will cause you to have a change in heart 
and make you recognize the revelation given to you. That's the conviction. To go against to go against this is the ultimate disrespect to the one who formed you from the dust of the earth, molded you in the image of him and breathed free, priceless love into your nostrils. Once you have experienced God and heard his voice, his words will penetrate your heart to the point where you will no longer do things according to your own strength, but only with the strength of the all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing God. That's the conversion. And if you find yourself on this path, just know that you can't have the conviction without the confrontation. So don't become bitter when someone treats you wrong and you know it's wrong. Telling them off won't make the situation better, but instead do what Paul did and ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? The Lord will certainly give divine instruction to avoid your demise. Lastly, once you've gone through the confrontation and have been convicted by what the Lord is doing in your life, it's important to know that the people around you will confirm the transformation by falling in line with God's will, despite how they may feel or think about what they're witnessing. In other words, people around you will confirm that God is at work in your life. Just like you don't have a choice in following God's plan, the people around you don't either. How do I know this? It's right here in the text. Verses 7 and 8 tell us that the men journeying to Damascus with him witnessed the situation in real time and were just as afraid as Saul was. After Jesus gives Saul instruction to get up and go to Damascus and wait, notice what his friends did not say. They didn't stand around him and ask him what was going on. They didn't help him up and laugh at him and tell him that he was crazy to listening to a voice coming from a man that they did not see. No, my friends, they helped him up, guided him on his way to the place where God commanded him and fell in line with what God instructed Saul. There was a reason Jesus met Saul at the time Saul traveled with his crew. There was a reason Saul became blind after the light from heaven shined around him. If we will look at it from a physical sense, we can deduce that the brightness of the light caused Saul's retinas to be so overwhelmed that his retinas could not handle the reception of the light. But if we were able to look at this from a spiritual lens, I would like to suggest that Saul's blindness wasn't just about him, but it was equally about the people around him. I need you to understand that even when you can't see the road ahead of you or around you, when you're under God's command, he will always send someone to help you accomplish where you need to go. For Saul to do exactly what God said, Jesus may have deemed it best for Saul to go blind. That in his blindness, he had no choice but to rely on the people around him to help him accomplish what God commanded. When the Lord Jesus is involved, nothing or nobody else matters but him. Maybe if Saul had experienced hearing Jesus' voice, submitting to God's authority, and kept his sight, he would have gotten distracted and went back to his old ways. But it was by divine design that Saul's blindness caused his crew to keep the journey on track. 
now just with a different purpose. Maybe God has to shield our eyes from potential distractions so that we can do what he said. Maybe God has blinded you from seeing that old boo or that old bay so that he could get you to focus on your new king or your new queen. Maybe God had to blind you to keep you from picking up that thing you are addicted to. I don't know. Maybe God had to stop you from looking at yourself because all you saw was a toxic, messy, stuck up and plain old nasty behavior in yourself. Whatever it was, don't you get mad with God. Don't be alarmed when you have to go through this inner transformation that seems to seep out and rub off on the people around you. When you've had an encounter with the master, the work of his hand is evident. The change that has come over you is contagious. Your mother will see it. Your father will see it. Your teachers, your friends, your co-workers, even strangers will be able to see and recognize that God indeed has his hands on you. And if you find yourself in the same position as Saul's friends, don't say anything to the Saul in your life. You just need to help them get where they are trying to go. And so in this life, every one of us has to go through at least one journey. Whether you're on the journey to being a better believer, a better student, a better person, or you're trying to get to the next season of your life, at some point, you've got to come face to face with the reality that this journey will require you to change some things about you. For Saul, the journey caused him to change his entire way of living. For you, it may be learning how to love. It may be learning how to forgive. It may be learning how to accept the things God has withheld from you for your own protection. So don't be afraid of the journey because the journey is not always just for you. The Bible is clear on this because if it wasn't for Abraham's journey, to the mountain to sacrifice his son, he would have never received the promise of God. If it wasn't for Moses' journey to send Joshua, to send a message to Pharaoh, the children of Israel would still be under Egyptian captivity. If it wasn't for Joshua's journey, the children of Israel would still have been in the wilderness and never made it to the promised land. If it wasn't for David's journey, we wouldn't know that God can take us from rags to riches. If it wasn't for Jonah's journey, we wouldn't know that God would bless us even in our disobedience and desire to not follow him. If it wasn't for Saul's journey, we wouldn't have the faith we hold so dear to as we know it today. I don't know about you, but if it wasn't for your journey, you wouldn't have the opportunity to know that God is a healer. You wouldn't know that God is a protector. You wouldn't know that God is a sustainer. You wouldn't know that God is a keeper. Is there anybody in here who knows that God will keep you in perfect peace? That on that journey, God will keep you and sustain you for whatever he has planned for you. Whatever this journey is designed to teach you, you've got to be prepared to stand face to face with the one thing you are afraid to let go of. It's in your surrender that God will begin to transform your life and reveal his plan for you. Once you begin to see the glory of God in life, the people around you won't have a choice but to help you get to where God is taking you. That glow of glory is good. It's so good that it's contagious. And so I invite you, my brother, I invite you, my sister, to do as the old hymn writes, walk in the beautiful light. Come where the dewdrops of mercy shine so bright. Shine all around us by day and by night. 
Jesus is the light of the world. God bless you. Walk in the light, beauty for light. Come where the dewdrops of mercy shine bright. Shine. Can we just give God praise? Can we give God some praise for the messenger? And we sure enough thank God for the message. Yes, we are on a journey. And if you just by chance have not taken time to look at the confrontations that have been all around you. You may not get a bright light from heaven or a voice from heaven. It just may have been a Sunday school teacher. It may have been mama or daddy or uncle or an uncle. But somebody along the way, I'm sure, has told you that if you are a sinner and have not given your life to Christ, you are on a dangerous journey. Right now and today, you have the opportunity to pray this prayer with me if you have not given your life to Christ. Just tell him, Lord, I know I am a sinner. I ask that you will forgive me of my sins. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins and God raised him from the dead. And then say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart as I make you my Lord and Savior. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, then you, you may join this church if you're watching us on live streaming. 
you may call the number that you see on the screen. But if you're here in the sanctuary, you may come now. You may come as a candidate for baptism. You may come by letter. Or you may come by Christian experience. Don't let it be said that you waited too late. God bless you. Will there be another? Don't let it be said too late. Jesus stands at the door and he says, Behold, I knock. And if anyone would allow me to come in, I will come in and sup with he and he with me. God bless you. Will there be another? It may not be on a road to Damascus, but the Lord speaks to us in many ways. And if you haven't gotten your business straight, do it while the sun still shines. For when night cometh, no man can work. Will there be another? God bless you. We've now come to that sacred time when we engage in communion. Has everyone been served? On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and break it. And after giving thanks, he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us eat. And in the same manner, he took the cup, saying, this is, this is the new, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink, drink it in remembrance of me. Let us drink together. And when they had finished, they sang a song and went out into the Mount of Olives. What a fellowship, what a
Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ rest, rule, and abide with each of you, now, henceforth, and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Thank you.